Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours, and this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Scott Martin from the Unapologetic Aussie. He is a critical thinker, truth seeker, advocate for men reclaiming their place in the world, keen motorcyclist, podcaster, YouTube, property investment buff, financial pragmatist, animal lover, and a family man. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's quite an intro. I, I mean, I don't have kids yet, but when I do, I will definitely be a family man. <laughs> <laughs> so how's the, uh, unapo- how's the Unapologetic Aussie podcast going so far? Look, it's been going great. I've had some amazing conversations. Um, I had a conversation with a lady called Greta Aurora, who is a Hungarian that moved from Hungary to California to London, is now living there. She actually studied sociology and biology at university, two deeply conflicting disciplines. Of course, sociology is one of the social sciences and it's become... um, quite an interesting uh, field of study lately with a lot of feelings and not a lot of facts, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of misinformation. So we had a really cool conversation about what men and women really want and uh, how we need more masculine men and fewer feminists. And we talked about testosterone, something that I've previously spoken with you about, and uh, I will be uploading the podcast between you and I in the next couple of days. I've been editing it this morning, actually, as it so happens. And I also had a conversation with a guy called Branko Sola, who is creating a documentary called The War at Home, talking about his experience. Uh, He actually fought over in Pakistan when they were chasing down bin Laden, and he was right nearby. So they were under some serious uh, attack, and basically things were going to absolute hell at home. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much. If anyone wants to hear the horrific story, they can head on over to Unapologetic Aussie uh, on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts and all the other popular platforms, uh, but yeah, it's been it's been incredible. Some of the conversations I've had have just been huge, absolutely huge, and I've loved every moment of it so far. Uh, I wish I could say that I've been very consistent recently, but my mum has recently been diagnosed with uh, cancer, both it was of the lungs and now it looks like it's spread to the lymph glands. So she was undergoing her first round of chemo just last week. So. Uh, I'm sure you can appreciate I uh, have been diverting my attention towards family. Yeah, uh, that's as you mentioned before, alluded to. Yeah, how's your mom? So that has been my focus. She's doing really well. You know, it's funny. Uh, her mother, when my mo- when my grandmother was in a nursing home, uh, she would regularly take out her hearing aid. She would not take her medicine, and she would do all of these things. Uh, because she's like, well, I don't need to do this. and I'm a tough cookie. Like, well, now that I know what I know now about medication, some of it, I question whether she actually was better off with that medication or not. However, my mom's a lot like her in the sense that she's quite stubborn and she's just like, look, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. So I'm currently in the process of making plans to probably move from Sydney back to Wagga Wagga by Christmas. Um, I bought a whole bunch of new gear so that I can podcast from home when I go back to Wagga. Uh, but yeah, I just really want to be there to support my mum and my dad because I don't know how much she's got long left. 
and you, you can't just call up cancer and be like, yo, cancer, long time no speak. How's it going? Um, so, you know, that situation with my mum. well, look, if you could just hold off for a few more months so I can just hang out with her for a bit longer, that'd be great. You can't do that with cancer. So uh, I'm just taking the opportunity while it's, uh, while it's still here to make the most of my remaining time with my mum. Fingers crossed it's a long time, but if it's not, uh, I want it to be quality time. Well, I hope she's, uh, I hope she fights it longer because uh, my grandmother actually passed away from lung cancer back in the 90, in 1990. So let me uh, guess, smoker? Actually, no. She Ooh. was not a smoker. But every, you know what the catalyst? everybody else was a smoker. And like around her? Yeah. So like my, my, uh-huh. uh, my, both my parents used to smoke. My grandfather used to smoke. All my aunts and uncles used to smoke. And back in, uh, back in the eighties in a Greek home in Toronto, the, everything was hot boxed. So, you know, windows and doors were closed and everybody was huffing and puffing and whether you smoked or not, you're smoking. When, whenever I hear hot box, all I can think of is weed and farts. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm so sophisticated. My mind is uh, practically an Einstein. <laughs> I love it. I love it though. I love it. Hot boxing, weed and farts. I mean, can't get better than that. <laughs> Throwing some whiskey, and now we got a party. <laughs> oh man, uh, that's gonna make me feel queasy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Mm. Um, getting on to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yep. You have been divorced. So I have. Oh, sorry. You are you are a divorcee. So what were the steps that you took after the marriage fell apart? to get yourself to where you are right now. Wow. That's a, that's a bit of a story. So basically what happened, um, I had no idea what was about to unfold when I took my first steps out of that house. Um, and while, while my ex-wife had paid the stamp duty on the house, I'd paid the full deposit and purchased all the furniture and I was essentially told to leave my house by my friends of 10 years who um, one of the people in that group was my brother-in-law or ex-brother-in-law to be. And they kept a, from as far as I could tell, around the clock vigil at my house, make sure I didn't come back to it for numerous weeks. Um, So I basically wasn't allowed back at my house. I had to leave my cat there. I left my TV. I left all my appliances. I left most of my clothes. I basically just had enough to charge my phone, brush my teeth and um, have clothes to do some work. And even the work that I was doing, I I couldn't really function because I was just um, so shell shocked by everything that had happened. I'd lost all of my best friends. I'd lost my home. I, I'd lost my wife and, you know, look, I, I was, I'll accept the majority of fault for the catalyst for what happened. Um, you know, I, I was very lonely and things, um, went downhill. Um, no, no excuses for anything that I did. 
but you, you don't until someone has been felt that alone and that miserable for that long, no one will ever understand what I, what I went through and the feeling of absolute, um, that like desolateness. I was just, I was so alone. I would come home some nights from work and I would just walk past my cat, walk past my wife. I'd go upstairs, sit in my chair and just bore my eyes out. Um, that's how depressed and lonely I was towards the end. And then things just imploded, um, you know, in, in a situation that unfolded and yeah, basically everyone just turned on me and it was that I, I mean, even people outside that circle that were still connected to it had death threats. I had people calling my phone at all hours of the night from private numbers. Um, I had people saying, don't ever speak to me again. I had people walking across the other side of the street from me. I was just completely like, I, I, I felt lonely before the breakdown and it was just like a whole new level. That you can't even imagine uh, post separation. So that wasn't great. And I found a place to rent a room from a, uh, a lady up in a place called uh, Prospect. I always get the two mixed up because I stayed at two places that started with a PR. So I stayed with a lady at Prospect um, and she was a single mom, lived there with her teenage daughter. And I sort of felt a little bit awkward with that uh, because, you know, the way society perceives fully grown men uh, around teenage girls, but you know, look, I, I got along with her and I kept my distance and, and that was all fine. There was no issues there. Uh, anyway, I ended up moving out of there because I found a friend of mine had a room that they were looking to rent out. So I rented two rooms off her of a four bedroom house and I had my own entertainment area. It was a bit more out of the city, but it was really good. I enjoyed it. And that was where I started to, get my mojo back and start to, you know, I went back from working, laboring and doing Uber driving and barely scraping by, barely being able to afford to eat to a place where I was actually comfortable and I was saving a bit of money and I was doing really well. I was working for a mobile phone accessory wholesaler and I was traveling all around New South Wales uh, and I was having a blast and I loved my job. And then I discovered some YouTube content that started to help everything that had made sense not just in my broken down marriage, but every relationship I'd ever had up until then. And I, I guess the loose term for it is called the manosphere. Uh, some people have got really negative opinions of the manosphere and most of it's usually from the mainstream media um, because you know if you don't sell outrage, then you don't get ad dollars in the media. That's just how it is. Uh, so. When you hear the manosphere, don't fret. It's actually um, really helped me to understand things a lot better. And I found myself, as time went on, at more and more peace with everything than I'd ever been before. But there was a period where I actually went through um, intense frustration. Some people call it the red pill rage. Uh, call it whatever you will. It was just basically anger at knowing that I'd been lied to, that things were not as they seemed. You know, even it, it's funny. I started a YouTube channel off the back of that frustration and witnessing an experience uh, where I had, was in a hotel for work and I was 
having dinner. I still remember it was on a Wednesday night, the place I was at, I think it was up in Nelson Bay or something. And in the middle of this complex, it was kind of like a circular complex. And in the middle, they had a round, like a body of water. I don't know if it called a swimming pool, but they had a moat and they you could walk over it and you could stand in the area in the middle and they had a restaurant. And it was very, very quiet in the restaurant on a Wednesday night. And I was just eating my meal. And uh, then there was other couple that had come in and they were sitting nearby me. And as I got towards the end of my mains, they caught the attention of a waiter that was walking past. And look, the waiters weren't super attentive, but like there's three people in the restaurant. Who cares, you know? Um, and this lady flagged down this dude. And she said, you know, who's the manager here? He said, oh, I'm the manager. And this guy was Indian. And she said, I've been trying to get your attention twice now and you've ignored me both times. She's like, are you even from here? And she started making some, look, I'm not one to be like, oh my God, that's racist. I'll like take, I sort of take everything in context and I'll look at whether the, where the intent was. But this was like really freaking racist. And this chick was New Zealander. She wasn't even from Australia. So I don't know who she thought she was to be going and telling someone else that wasn't from Australia that they don't belong here. Uh, but she started going off with this guy and I sat there and I was eating, I still remember I was eating a panna cotta, a vanilla panna cotta. And I thought to myself, if by the end of this meal, if by the end of this meal, uh, the end of this is that I have not heard cessation to this yelling, I'm going to go say something. So I sat there and I quietly scooped my panna cotta. And then when I finished my panna cotta, I got up from the table, I went over, I paid my bill. And then I walked over to this woman who was yelling at this guy. And at the moment when I arrived, uh, she said, oh, you know, I'm sorry that I've had to put up with this. And I chimed in and I was standing beside her at this point. I said, yeah, I'm sorry too. And she came up beside me. She put her arm around me and she goes, yeah, yeah, you tell him. And I took her hand and I removed it from my shoulder and I placed it back down by her side. I like, grabbed her by the wrist. Not, not firmly, of course. And I said, I'm sorry that I've had to listen to your bullshit for the last 15 minutes while I've been trying to have a quiet freaking meal like and you're being rude and racist to this guy he's done nothing wrong other than maybe not notice your hand halfway up in the air i said you are rude you're obnoxious i said and you don't even deserve to be eating this restaurant and she her eyes just opened like dinner plates like she was about to unleash some sort of force of god upon me and her boyfriend's like hit him babe hit him and by the, like at this point i'd already scoped because of a lot of the stuff i've been watching i realized that it's very easy for an allegation to be made against a man without any basis uh, and for that to stick. In fact, there was even a woman who wrote a book called How to Destroy a Man Now. You want to check that out, you can go and have a look. Uh, the pseudonym was, I think it was Angela Confidential. She's a PhD in um, psychology. So this is literally a handbook on how to destroy men. Uh, so this is how real this is for a guy. So I'd already scoped out all the cameras and I knew that I was covered if anything went down. And yeah, I just basically said my piece and I walked out. And she was yelling after me, saying uh, what she was going to do to me and shaming me and saying, oh, you know, you're, 
of course you're having dinner here alone. You're single. You couldn't get a woman. And I'm like, bro, like you don't even know the woman problems that I've just like had to deal with and, and move past, you know, and, and, like I've been very successful with women in the past. Uh, but I would say that since I actually got an understanding of the interpersonal dynamics between men and women and all of the lies have been fed through the media and the movies and TV and all of these talk shows headed up by a panel of like seven women, uh, I've actually become far more successful, not just, romantically with women, but also just in getting along with them better uh, because I don't, I'm not always seeking opportunity now because I'm like, you know what? I, I can actually have the opportunity come to me. And off the back of that incident that I had in the restaurant, I went back to my room and I recorded a rant and that became the first video of my YouTube channel because I had no one else that I could talk to about this. I've lost all my friends. My family doesn't want to hear it. My sister sure as hell doesn't want to hear it. And my boss doesn't want to hear it. Like I got no one to talk to. So I decided to, I decided to um, talk to a screen and just see what came out. And so I um, made a YouTube channel and I uploaded it. And three and a bit years later, here I am with like 34,000 subscribers on that and a podcast and, um, you know, helping to coach men and how to, Build, rebuild the relationship with their daughters that's been broken after their breakup, um, helping guys to negotiate peaceful divorce settlements that works well for everybody. I mean, there's just so many things. Like I've had, I can't tell you some of the letters I've received that brought me to tears with guys saying, you saved my life. Like you literally stopped me from committing suicide. You got me out of depression. You helped me to see the world in a whole different light. My life's better now. Like I have a job that I love um, and I, I wasn't here six months ago. And then I saw your stuff. Um, and you know, look, I'll admit that I was a bit ranty and I, I probably came across as a little bit angry towards uh, women in the beginning when I started my channel, granted. But that was more like my rage phase, you know, when I was still, nothing made things didn't make sense still at the level that they needed to for me to be at peace. Uh, but just over time I've evolved and now I explain things to guys. You know, I, I help pick apart articles that have been written and, explain what they really mean and what the underlying tone is behind them and uh, you know, what's going on. I've, I've exposed the Duluth model in Australia and how uh, it's the most unbelievable sex discrimination of the highest order. It's just on a scale never before seen ever before. And the government just eats it up because Which, of the feminist groups. It's crazy. Yeah. We are going to get into deep into that stuff because um it's not just in Australia that that's happening. Uh, if you see now the divorce rates here in North America, it was at 60, around 60%. Now it's closer towards 80. And my understanding is across the Western world, rough, it varies from area to area, country to country, demographic to demographic. But overall, you're looking at around about 70% initiation rates amongst the divorces that do occur by women. And you know, maybe they're not happy. Maybe their partner is really a, a violent douchebag. I would suggest that most of the time that's not the case um, and that maybe they're just not happy. But there seems to be this culture where people are being told, hey, if you're not happy, just leave. It's like, that's not the solution. Not the solution for you and not the solution for your kids. Because well, if you really love that guy, 
going to regret it down the track. Well, under certain circumstances, I I would say leave. Like if you're, if uh, yeah, if the 100%. husband is beating on the wife or the wife is beating on the husband, which I have I know of some people, then yes, leave. Mm. Absolutely, hundred percent. Nobody has the right to raise their hand raise their hand at you. So do the right thing and just move on with your life. But I mean, if other guys, other guys refuse to leave when they've had their hand raised to them because they know how the court systems are. They've seen what happens and they're afraid they might never see their kids again. That's a very real consideration. Oh, I know a guy who's dropped $200,000 just to see his kid for an extra day of the week. Wow. Yeah. So how many days a week does he see his kid now? Two? Two. Man, they're good. Except during a couple yeah, of weeks just... during the summertime where he takes his kid to Greece and he gets to spend some quality time with his son. But yeah, he spent an mm-hmm. extra $200,000 just to see his kid for an extra day out of the week. And of course, none of the, uh, none of the money that he spends to take them to Greece would be uh, covered by child support coming his way because it would all be going her way. Yep. And, and, that, and, that, and this is the problem because we as humans, John, we're inherently selfish. If you and I didn't want to talk to each other tonight, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. Nobody does anything unless there's a benefit in it for them. Sometimes people do things to their detriment, but that's because they perceive that the benefit is going to come if they do something nice for someone else. And when you have a system that incentivizes you financially to eliminate the father of your children, if you are really struggling to get ahead financially or you have certain financial aspirations and you know that your ex-husband is a high earner and especially if you don't give a shit about him anymore, it's like you were like, oh, well, screw him. I'm getting, the, I'm getting the cash. I don't care. I don't care how he feels. He didn't care how I felt. And, and it's like this emotional tangent that kind of justifies this sort of behavior. And the government is complicit in most Western countries in allowing it. It is. Um, switching gears a little bit. Uh, you don't really follow a schedule. My schedule is not. <laughs> so My what schedule is, is not. What's your tips to people who don't have a schedule? Well, it, it depends. Um, I mean, if you've got, if you don't have a schedule because uh, there are certain things in your life that don't allow for planning, then I would just suggest prioritize what it is that you need to do. Get as much sleep as you can that you need. Uh, If there are things that can deprioritize for now, assuming that what's taking up the bulk of your time is not ongoing and consistent, then we'll just do do what you can. Uh, Try and keep things streamlined. Uh, The biggest thing is sleep. Uh, like, I mean, even for example, it's 11 past 10 in the morning here. I finished work at 7am this morning after a 12 hour shift. So I'm pretty tired right now. Uh, it, as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to bed. <laughs> like that's literally what's happening. And I'm, and I'm going to sleep until probably about 5pm. And then I'm going to get up and have dinner and then I'm going to sleep some more. So on the days where you don't have to do something straight away, Sleep until your body wakes you up. 
because that tap it's like if you don't have a phone a screen on your phone you don't know that your phone's charged until well okay maybe it's a really bad analogy but if you don't have an indicator then you just need to charge something up until it works at its optimal and that goes to your body as well and you know john i know you talk about the importance of sleep as well uh, it's just absolutely critical no matter what you're doing you've just got to make time for sleep and not not find time make time yeah yeah that's critical that would be my, that would be my biggest piece of advice over and above everything everything else can be worked around but sleep got to do it because otherwise you're going to end up having a car accident you're going to end up getting sick you're going to end up having a dropped immune system you're going to end up being cranky you're not going to be able to focus properly and i've experienced all these things and it's not nice except for the car accident um i didn't experience that insideness but uh there was a few times where i before i wised up where i'd had a micro sleep and you sort of wake up and you've just crossed over the line a little bit and there's no car there but you sort of do that jerk back and your heart just starts racing you're like that could have been really really bad yeah. So fortunately, it wasn't bad, and I'm still here, and we're having a chat right now. It's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've had those days and those nights too. Twelve-hour midnight shifts. Uh, yeah, uh, working eight hours and then going to school in the morning from uh, working from eleven to seven, eleven p.m. to seven a.m. and going being in class for eight a.m. till noon and then going to sleep for six wow. months. Six months straight. That is intense. But yeah. you know, it's, this, this is one thing that I am so grateful. Look, there's some areas that we copper raw dealers do, but that's one area that I'm grateful because the testosterone in our body enables us to cope with levels of stress that we might not otherwise be able to cope with. And if you've got low testosterone, because maybe you're a soy fanatic or whatever you may be, if you're, if you're a dude and you're not doing what needs to happen and eating what needs to be eaten and consuming what needs to be consumed to maintain, sustain, and perhaps even increase your testosterone levels. Um, yeah, you, you got to do something about that. But that's, that's something you talk about, John. So, you know, you'd, you'd be the expert on that topic. Uh, I won't go into that today, uh, but I fully recognize the critical importance of it. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh... I'll, we're going to go into a little bit of a rabbit hole. I'm going to lead you into a rabbit hole right now. Oh, I love rabbit holes. I'm so good at them. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, there is a lie out there that men have all the privilege and the power. Can you elaborate mm -hmm. a little bit on that? Oh, yes. So, this, look, this all originated from the premise that way back when women were forced to stay at home barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, which isn't completely true. Um, some, if they chose to wear shoes in the kitchen, then they wore the shoes. You know? <laughs> so this is, this is kind of like an emotional um, heartstring puller, the way that they actually phrase this and they put it in order to get you to feel like they were so controlled and so overpowered that they couldn't even wear shoes when they were in the kitchen, pregnant by force to their you know, their brute husband. Um, now, I got to tell you, if I had the choice between being a 50s housewife, like if I, 
or obviously if I could switch, switch between men and women, if I had the choice of being a female and a 50s housewife or being a blacksmith going out and working in ridiculous heat, sweating my ass off, uh, blackened face from all of the iron filings and uh, you know all of the grease and the dirt that was in the industrial environment prior to uh, you know, when the industrial revolution occurred and everything sort of migrated over to a lot more automation and machine operation that didn't require so much manual labor. I, I mean, people say, well, you know, women weren't allowed to work. It's like dudes weren't allowed to not work. Like they weren't allowed to not work. If a guy didn't work, he was a fucking loser. No one would marry him and he's going to die alone. That's the score for a 50s house husband that's not a house husband. Like, you know, guys now can be unemployed and <laughs> still, still get a girl, you know, still get laid, still have relationships. But get it in the 50s. And the fact they say, well, you know, women used to get paid less than men. Yes, that's true. But the men also had to provide everything. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm glad that that inequality has been ironed out. I'm glad they put in the Equal Pay Act. You know, I'm glad that now it's illegal for men and women to be paid different for different things. Now, I'm probably going to load you up with some links after the end of this, so you can share them at the bottom of the podcast, John. But I actually have evidence from the Australian Bureau of Statistics that they posted on Twitter of the difference between the average hours worked between men and the average hours worked between women. And oh boy, is it revealing. <laughs> because from every single age group, from cradle to grave, men work significantly more hours with the exception of one age group, which is roughly the um, 15 to 20 and 20, uh, sorry, the 15 to 19 and the 20 to 24, 25 to 29 starts to widen a bit, 30 onwards gets wider again. And, and look, granted, there's other factors to be considered such as women taking maternity leave and whatnot. I think that there need to be support structures in place for that. And there are, uh, but I think that this, this whole lie that women are so oppressed in Australia and the US, it's just so ridiculous. I mean, I, I used to work at a, a bar in Sydney. And if a chick walks up wearing thongs with one diamante on it, one, she can just walk straight on in. This is a high class bar. A dude rocks up wearing some you know, classy designer thongs, even Gucci thongs. Like, sorry, mate, go put some clothes shoes on and she's over there wearing a pair of cheap rubber thongs from Kmart or Walmart or whatever store she bought it from with like a little stick on diamante that she bought from the $2 shop in like a bag of like a thousand or whatever. And she used to walk on in, in a singlet. I'm wearing a singlet and some like a designer singlet and designer thongs. And I'm out the door of my ass, like privilege my ass. <laughs> Fuck off. And you know, it, there's not a single talking point about anything that equally impacts men and women that I can't rebut factually. And they've got the Workplace Gender Equality Agency in Australia. And it's basically the whole thing is run almost exclusively by females. 
in extremely high paid public uh, office jobs, if you go to wgea.gov.au, uh, and I mean, I know you're not going to do this right now, but if anyone's listening, you want to go there, go to the top right hand corner, look at the three yellow lines that have a drop down, select the drop down arrow next to data, go to the WG, go to fact sheets, click on Australia's gender pay gap statistics, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page. It says right here in black and white, here's the little disclaimer. Displays gender pay gap data based on a census of non-public sector organizations, non-public sector with 100 or more employees that are required to report to the agency and representing over 40% of Australian employees. So let me unpack that and give you the, the, the nuts and bolts of what that actually tells us. It tells us that the gender pay gap represents, um, doesn't represent almost 60% of Australian employees. It also tells us that the reported gender pay gap doesn't include any public sector jobs. By the way, the head of the ABC makes more than our prime minister. And it's basically a, it, it, they're openly left wing. Most of the, the high end commentators and whatnot, they even have it on their Twitter profiles. It's, they're, they're not hiding it. They say, oh, abuse my own, but we all know it's the views of the ABC and that's our taxpayer funded, funded network. Um, it also says non-public sector organizations with 100 or more employees that are required to report. So which ones are not required to report? The ones that don't have a gender pay gap? You know what I mean? When we start to dissect all these little things, you just find out that everything is smoke and mirrors and they don't factor in private sector with less than hundred employees. And on top of that, they annual, and, and they admitted this on video in a Senate inquiry with Senator David Leonhelm. And they admitted that they, because women work part-time at three, at three times the rate of men in Australia, they annualized the part-time salaries to reflect what it would be if it was a full-time salary. So, and we, you know, any business owner, any person that's in a part-time job knows that you won't get uh, incremental increases of pay rates at anywhere near the same rate if you're a part-timer than you will if you're a full-timer. So if you're taking that into consideration as well, well then you're artificially reducing the average uh, full-time because it's not really full-time because they've annualized a bunch of them. They've taken the average full-time earnings of a very select group that you've cherry-picked uh, and then you can only come up with like a 14% full-time gender pay gap. Give me a break. And that's, and that's, and that's, that's, and keep in mind as well, men have worked more hours and they've omitted all that stuff and you've only got 14%. It's such a load of bullshit. You know, um, and all of our domestic violence organizations, look, I know domestic violence is a really touchy subject and rightly so. And as you and I have both clearly articulated, no one should have to put up with that. But we've only got radical feminists speaking for the population of Australia when it comes to domestic violence issues. So men do not get heard. They do not get considered. And right now we've got a 12 year plan in place that finishes in two years time. 
thank God. It's called the National Plan to Reduce uh, Violence Against Women and Their Children. And I'm totally in favor of reducing that. But there just seems to be a really large demographic that has been omitted from that phrase. I don't know if you uh, missed that. That demographic is men. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. people with a, the thing hanging between their legs. Yep. And, and what I actually found something so damning, you can't even imagine. They have on each of their four quarterly plans, because they've got the first plan, the second plan, the third plan, the fourth plan, each of which are three years, and each of which are funded in the billions of dollars with federal taxpayer money, uh, and also states and territories are getting involved in that as well. They, uh, I'll see if I can quickly find it here, because I, I took a screenshot of this, but basically says that they've got certain goals that they want to achieve. Now, one of these goals is that they want to increase the number of convictions, but they want to decrease the number of instances. Those are both simultaneously measures of success in this national plan. And you said, well, riddle me this, Scott. How exactly do you do that? Well, it's very, very simple, really. You don't investigate false allegations and you broaden the definition of domestic violence. Voila, there's your simultaneous increase with decrease of instances. Sounds like they're doing something similar with something else. Mm. So Absolutely. what do you... Huh? Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, I, I, I've, I've got my finger on the pulse. Like I see what they're doing. It, it, even actually the Department of Social Services is currently paying Charleston University to indoctrinate their staff and student and lifeline staff in the Duluth model, which is a completely defunct model from 1981, which essentially says woman victim, man bad, but because of male privilege. And any behavior that could possibly hurt a woman's feeling in a relationship is on that wheel. Even if it's unintentional, it's still counted as quote unquote family violence by way of the Australian government's definition. Uh, so you, you just don't have anywhere to go. And I don't know if you've ever seen sometimes when people are trying to be really condescending, they'll write like a sentence, but it'll be like the letters will alternate between lowercase and uppercase. I actually did a video on why men in Australia don't seek help or when they're the victims of domestic violence and the, the cover photo was actually a screenshot from the Domestic Violence Research Resource Center of Victoria. And it was, it said something like domestic violence against men by women. And it was all like in the upper and lower cases. And this has been written by someone that works in this domestic violence organization. They've intentionally done this to mock men. There was even a guy called Jari Wise who was run over by his uh, girlfriend who had breached domestic violence orders 200 plus times and still wasn't in jail. She ran him down, killed him in cold blood. It wasn't registered as a domestic violence murder because if that was to happen, then that would have to go on the domestic violence statistics. 
And if that went on the domestic violence statistics, then it would show that women are perpetrating it too. Yeah. Which would mean that they couldn't call men the perpetrators and women the victims in all of their government literature, which is what's happening right now. And one mainstream media outlet was even so callous and cruel to call the guy Jari Wise. And then a couple of sentences later, they called him Jari Smart. Now we're using all of these different um, words that represented smart or wise. And they were just transplanting his surname with all these different words. Like the most disrespectful stuff you can imagine. And the media reported it as a Media reported it as a freak road accident. Wow. Wrap your head around that. Um, by wow. the way, the other day when his mum went to the hearing for her 200 breaches, um, he, he shit, they actually took out an apprehended violence order against his mum just because she got upset and screamed at them. And Rightly so, so they arrested her. And they arrested her outside the courthouse for coming within 100 meters of the woman who killed her son and put her behind bars while releasing the woman that killed her son by running over him and breaching domestic violence like AVO order over 200 times. They let her out on bail, the murderer, and they jailed the mum. Like, it is insane such a level that I can't even describe in words. So what do you think that we could do to even the platform on this? Because like, I know some places in Greece, I, they don't care whether you're a man or woman, you do something like that. You're going to stop breathing. Mm, right. So without getting to that kind of, um, without making those kinds of drastic measures, what do you think that we can do to help people see that, you know, we are equal men and women right now, as we are talking, you and I right here. Oh, goodness. Like, I think the biggest thing is to have these conversations because a lot of people, a lot of people, particularly like whenever the domestic violence conversation comes up, uh, look, women have been had it force fed down their throats by the media, via the government that they're not safe, that there's a one in four chance they're going to get raped, all of this stuff. It's just that those statistics are simply not true. They're complete fallacies. Um, it's so much lower than that. And women, this, Australia is the safest country in the world for women, period. If you go and search up BIGI, the basic index of gender inequality, uh, yeah, gender inequality, Australia is one of the best countries in the world to be in for gender equality for women, period. And a lot of women get really angry when they hear conversations like this, where men are saying, well, hey, you know, this is, these feminists are up to some bullshit because they've been told at university that feminism is the radical notion that women are human beings. They've been told at university that fem feminism's about equality, feminism's about all of this, you know, fairness, but it, it's just simply not true. If you believe that everyone should have equal opportunities and equal rights. You're an egalitarian. E-G-A-L-I-T-A-R-I-A-N. Rewind it, play it again, type it into your browser. Remember that word because the only way that we are going to start um, put, putting feminists off to the side that are actively advocating for this stuff, advocating for, there was even one, one feminist 
uh, she, her name is Jenna Price. She's a senior journalism lecturer at University of Technology, Sydney. She was advocating that whenever there is any relationship breakdown, even if it's just boyfriend, girlfriend, the men should be monitored by police and mental health services and be required to register to make sure they're not a danger to women and, and their children. This is feminists doing this. This is what feminism is. Feminism is the advocacy of women's rights on the grounds of the equality of the sexes. The, and a right is a legally enshrined entitlement, an inalienable right that cannot be taken away from you, that must be enforced by the powers that be. So if you're giving these entitlements and these inalienable rights to women, but you're ignoring men from the conversation, Clementine Ford, she's one of the big, uh, best known feminists in Australia. She's quite open about the fact that feminism is not for men. And I don't like her, but I really respect her for saying that because she's telling the truth. And it is the truth. And we need to stop calling ourselves feminists if we're about equality and start calling ourselves egalitarians because it's only when we stop calling ourselves feminists and the people that really are feminists keep calling themselves feminists and we can see how radical that sect of actual feminists are, that we're gonna go, hang on, I'm distancing myself from this. Whatever they're saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and listen to somebody else because these chicks are nut jobs. And, and these guys as well, by the way. So I think we need to have a conversation about, um, I think we need to popularize the word egalitarian. I also really think that we need to keep having these discussions and bringing these things to people's awareness. Because women are not aware that guys are going through this stuff. They're not. Most of them aren't. And I understand why they're not. And I don't blame them for not knowing. But now you know. You heard it here. And I've got all the information to back it up. I've got all of the parliamentary documentation um, from AustralianParliamentHouse.gov.au saying that the Duluth model is a feminist framework. I've got all of the documentation from Relationships Australia, Western Australia, saying they operate off a feminist framework that prioritizes the uh, female victims and holds the male perpetrators accountable. I've got all of it. Like there's no refuting it. Um, and I just think we need to keep having these conversations, keep having them, keep having them because uh, the power of repetition is not something to be understated. And my first podcast I actually did, it was about nine minutes long. It's well worth a listen if you want to go listen to it. Uh, it's lies by re repetition and omission. So if you're ever hearing a conversation about something where there's two pieces to the puzzle or more, and you're only hearing a few of the pieces to the puzzle, ask the question, why are these pieces of the puzzle being omitted? Who benefits from them being omitted? And what is the agenda behind it? Because an agenda can be something as simple as saying, well, my agenda for today is I'm going to get up at nine o'clock and I'm going to pack the lunch. And then my agenda is that I'm going to go have lunch at 1130 and I'm going to go get my um, beard trimmed at one o'clock. And then I'm going to pick up the kids. If you've got kids at three o'clock and then I'm going to start doing the dinner and that can be your agenda for the day, right? An agenda doesn't have to be something sinister, but it is definitely an action plan of things to be done. And there is a feminist agenda. Um, even on the United Nation, if you go to at UN women, I'll give you the link for this as well, John. Uh, they have, a post uh, that literally says my feminist agenda. It, it says that verbatim on the United Nations Instagram page. And it's got another one where it's got this tombstone 
uh, with flames around it. And it says RIP patriarchy. Like this patriarchy theory, this feminist indoctrination, it is so deeply rooted in our university, is so deeply rooted in our institutions. It's been, I mean, feminism started in, 19, in 1848. Most people don't know that. They think it's just like first, second, third wave. No, this stuff's been brewing for a long time. And the person that actually started feminism was a privileged white Caucasian woman who was having a hissy fit because she didn't have even a more power and more privilege than she already had. And she just had a chip on her shoulder. And I've also worked out why, uh, because a lot of this radical anti-male theory is being pushed by lesbian academics. And by the way, this is not a slur on lesbians. Um, you know, I'm, your sexuality, you know, totally respect it. I, I, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, oh, they're not born that way. It's like, well, if you're attracted to, you're attracted to, period. And that's it. And, and, that's just, and that's it, black and white for me. You're attracted to who you're attracted to, and whoever that is is who it is. Simple as that. So, you know, please, if there's any lesbians listening, I love you. I appreciate you all. Um, but, yeah, the reason why I suspect there's so many lesbian academics uh, in the university system is because back when, and I look at, and I've seen the passenger records and the census records from the mid early 1900s on the census, it said man of the house. And then you've got the wife. So there was a, a gender roles institutionalized back then, not anymore, but they definitely were then. And back when they were institutionalized, um, like what happens if you don't have a husband you don't have a source of income so you better get one and if you're a lesbian and you don't have a source of income from your husband and if you've got a girlfriend your girlfriend doesn't have a source of income from a husband what are you going to do you're going to sit there and beg on the street absolutely not so you go to university you get educated and you make your own way so i would say that in my view, that is why there's such an over-representation over of um, lesbian academics and lesbian academic literature stemming back quite some time now, um, particularly anti-male theory because of this phenomenon. And uh, I don't think I'm, I, probably, I think I'm probably fairly close on the mark with that synopsis. Do you think the mainstream media has any, uh, well, well, I think you and I both know that the mainstream media likes to play certain sides when it comes to certain topics. Uh, what are your thoughts on the mainstream media when it comes into indoctrination of, uh, uh, I have a specifically thing for young kids because they are our future. So let's talk mm -hmm. about that. Uh, look, it's um, the, the mainstream media and especially any government run um, TV stations, keep your kids 50 miles away from them or more if you can. For example, ABC in Australia, that's our Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the one I said was um, quite left-wing. And, you know, I don't like to be polarizing about politics, but, you know, they're all openly left-wing and um, very progressive. Uh, so there's a, they did this video called the privilege bridge. And it was basically showing a rich old white guy teleporting across a river because he had privilege and didn't have to work to get where he got to. But then it showed this poor, you know, 
female person of color refugee who didn't speak English very well and had to swim across the river because she didn't have privilege and now she's got a cough. They're going, well, wait, that's not fair. How come Ross got a free right there? Privilege, he was born with advantage, unearned gifts that his life was granted. He might not be aware of his inbuilt perks, but that's just the way that privilege works. Word. They like both come in and do this, like try and be cool. But I'm like, you guys are insane. You are psychotic. Uh, and that was, that privilege bridge is a snippet from a 25 minute short film that they did called the activism film. So if you were to jump on YouTube right now and search ABC me activist film or activism film, you'll find it's about 25 minutes long. Uh, it's got a Caucasian girl with a little nose ring and a, an Asian chick as well who are the main stars of it. So yeah, that's just like the, the, the tip, tip of the iceberg. And we've got this organization called Our Watch, which is incidentally one of the organizations that has been put in place as part of the National Plan to Reduce Violence Against Women and Their Children. And this particular site, Our Watch, if you go to ourwatch.com.au, sorry, .org.au, first thing you see is Our Watch is a national leader in the primary prevention of violence against women and their children in Australia, promoting gender equality during COVID. No excuse for abuse, prevention handbook. And these things are all skewed only one way. And then if you go to up the top, it's got our websites and you can drop down. It's got respectful relationships education, which is basically LGBT um, theory indoctrination for kids in schools. Uh, workplace equality and respect. Your workplace can help create an Australia where women are safe, equal and valued. And then media making change is another one of those this is where it gets really insidious. When you bring that page up, uh, it's media.ourwatch.org.au. The first thing you see is the media can use its influence to change the culture and attitudes that drive violence against women. Like, I'm sorry, the cultures and attitudes don't drive violence against women. Drugs do. Alcohol does. Having been exposed to violence as a child does. But hey, we don't need to help young boys that are being exposed to violence because they're the problem. It's like, yeah, they will be the problem if you don't help them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you actually touched up uh, on... Sorry, and just, and just one more thing, John. Yeah. Um, uh, please don't uh, lose that thought, but it says accurate, safe, and respectful reporting on violence against women is the first step. The media can also help stop violence before it starts by challenging gender, and gender inequality and stereotypes. Survivors in the media, training for journalists, training for journalists. This is crazy. And good practice reporting reinforces the message that we do not tolerate violence in our community. Uh, and that's under the headline reporting on violence against women. Of course, what that really means is good practice reporting reinforces the message that we don't tolerate violence against women in our community. But it's totally cool if it happens to a dude and we're just going to ignore it because we don't capture the stats on it, because we don't believe it happens, because of a defunct model from 1981 that was made up by a bunch of angry women that wanted to settle a score. Yeah, I got a lot to say about that. I got a lot to say yeah. about that. Because, see, the, the problem with this is that if you focus too much on one side, what happens to the other side? Right. Right. 
you're literally creating the monster that you denounce by ignoring it. And when a guy wakes up and starts to become a monster, what kind of a monster are they creating? Right. Like this right. It's going to become a scary thing for, for most people, and they don't really understand it, what's going on. Mm. What do you think so is going to happen with the mainstream media when people start to wake up? Because they're going to start to wake up eventually. They're already waking up. They, they really are. And maybe, maybe a lot of people don't see that, but because I've been following these things so closely, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing people more mistrustful of the mainstream media than ever before. In fact, for the 2016 election um, in the US, and of course, we've seen the, the circus that's gone on from the radical left just going bananas ever since 2016. Now we've got them burning down cities that they proclaim to care about, which is the most preposterous and ridiculous thing you could ever do, but whatever. Um, only 6% of people surveyed in a very, very large scale survey said they had a high level of trust in the mainstream media. Imagine how low that is now. Right, they've been caught out so many times lying, misrepresenting. There was even a clip. They were trying to slander our Prime Minister Scott Morrison because they want him out because, of course, they want their cohorts in. And they were trying to slam him. So he went on a holiday over Christmas 2019 uh, when the bushfires were going on. And, and look, you know, I, I get that it's a bit of a bad look from a PR standpoint, but it's not like, it's not like he said, oh, there's fires happening. <laughs> let's, book a, let's book some tickets to Hawaii, family, you know? Like, no, this was planned for months. When you're the prime minister, you can't exactly just jump up and go on a whim. You have to have this stuff planned for months in advance. Like, the dude's got a family too. Everyone's like, oh, he should be here for Australia. It's like, mate, he's not the minister for emergency services. He doesn't have any jurisdiction over any of the fire services in any of the states. And the military is functionally capable of stepping in and offering their services. And they're constitutionally permitted to. So these people can work in cooperation with each other without any input from the prime minister. Like, give the guy a few more days in Hawaii, for goodness sakes. Like, yeah, I get it. Some people are losing their home and it sucks and it's shit. But what's going to happen? What, he's going to fly straight back from Hawaii because you said so. And then parliament's going to resume sitting after the, uh, like, while the fires are still going. And then the fires are going to stop. And I mean, 2020 has just been a nonstop shit show uh, since Christmas, basically. Like, when's the guy going to get a break? When's he going to get spent time with his family? You know, political life is highly demanding. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that the media would slaughter him for being absent in parliament when parliament goes back if he was to then go back over to Hawaii and finish off his holiday with his family. The guy can't catch a break and the media is just doing it for clickbait. They're just doing it for ad revenue. They are absolutely complicit. And on top of that, I just discovered this thing on that media.ourwatch.org.au university media curriculum lesson materials, breakout materials, assignments. One of the things that I actually found was basically saying, uh, they didn't say this in these words because the CDC and the World Health Organization and all of these big organizations have done studies across the globe that have found consistencies in interpersonal violence. And our watch is just going, no, 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 that's not what causes it. We'll tell you what causes it. 
all lies. And they're indoctrinating university students. These are our new so next social workers. These are our next politicians. These are our next policymakers, human resource professionals. These are our next journalists. These are the next generation of professionals. That's where you get them. Exactly. This is why we're seeing so many activists in professional fields now, like, and so much of, of this nonsense. And I'm kind of going, where is it all coming from? I know where it's coming from. It's coming from the universities, and it's just spreading out. If we cut it off at the knees, it will stop. But the unis are full of Marxists, and they want to see the country burn. Um, you actually made two points that I want to touch up on. Uh, your prime minister um, sounds like a really good guy. Um, our prime minister. Best of intentions. Our prime minister had decided uh, when things were getting tough. Let's see, in twenty between twenty uh, between October twenty night twenty nineteen and October twenty twenty, he's taken five vacations wow and he decided that when covid hit that he was going to lock himself up in his family cottage oh and the and the most Ooh. and the most recent thing is he, because now he's being investigated for a scandal that for the university scandal uh the we university scandal because uh his family took up so much money out of out of out of university kids. Of course they did. Of course they did. That uh, he actually suspended Parliament. Wow. Oh, and the best part about it. This is where I wanted to get to. He has given money, billions of taxpayers' dollars to the CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which is Canada-wide. Yep. I actually call it the Communist Broadcasting Corporation. Another leftist organization, yep. Yep. And all they're doing is talking about how great Justin Trudeau is. And, you know, he's doing, he's, he's, mm -hmm. he's, a, he's, a, he's a positive public figure. Yeah, pretty much, yep. yeah. Positive. So I was going to say for your prime minister, maybe he just should have given the ABC some money. He's already giving them plenty. Give him a they still don't like him. Uh, I, maybe they'll pull into line if he threatens to take the money away. <laughs> but they won't do that because they, then they get attacked by all of the Twitterati and you know all of the the art the arts people in the arts. Um, and when I say arts, I mean like gender studies and all that kind of stuff, like the ra the radical humanities students. I mean, it's just just insane and you've got this you've got the feminist uh, framework uh, underpinning the treatment for the the guidelines for the treatment of men and boys in the u.s the american psychological association runs off a feminist model of treatment for men and boys which is basically saying masculinity bad yeah and i'm like you know what you sit over there with your soy latte and I'll sit over here with my steak. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, some current news that's happening out of Seattle that I read earlier Ooh, today. Oh, talk to me. Uh, the, city, 
the mayor of the city uh, in Seattle has recently made a pimp the city spokesperson. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, like a when you say pimp, I mean like he would prostitute women out to men. Pimp. Here we go. Pimp turned activist pays him a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow. To be at street art and come up with alternatives to policing as he boasts he can talk to gangsters and prostitutes who won't sit down with anyone else. I mean, are these the constituents you want to be appealing to? Really? <laughs> really? Pretty sure there's bigger fish to fry than a couple of chicks who think it's easier to make money by spreading their legs than... It just doesn't make sense. It's so stupid. This is absolutely insane. Um, uh, I mean, where, where is it? This year, he emerged as an ally to Mayor Durkin, speaking out against the controversial um, chop zone where two people were shot dead. He was then exposed in a secret recording offering to negotiate a multi-million dollar package with the city on behalf of chop occupiers in exchange for them leaving. So he's basically operating as a middleman to funnel taxpayer funds to criminals. What a psycho. That's my thoughts on that. Perfect. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, to, the guy's got some dress sense. Got to hand, got to hand that to him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you just don't go to, you just don't give taxpayer funds to pimps and gangbangers because maybe it might be a little bit easier for them to talk to the people that you don't want to be a constituent. Like, like I, I get that these people are still the constituents, but there's better ways, much better ways. Yeah. So how would you how would you describe the decline in men's health and wellness? Um, devastating, devastating. I I got to tell you, I am so unbelievably glad that there are so many men now going on. You know, so many men now going online and actually talking about their experiences and telling the truth about male and female dynamics. Because one of the highest, one of the biggest causes of depression um, that can be the catalyst for alcohol and drug consumption and all sorts of other harmful activities. One of the biggest catalysts is relationship breakdown. You take a man from away from his family, you take away his will to live most of the time. All right. And when guys feel like that there's no hope left, they'll just off themselves nine times out of 10. So we want to address the uh, mental health crisis. Stop incentivizing mothers to remove fathers from lives and stop funding feminist legal organizations that encourage mothers to leave, keep the fathers away and give them leverage and tell them you can get all of this extra stuff. If you say this, not, and these, and most of the time, even if these women actually still care about their ex-husband or partner and don't want to completely screw them over, they don't realize the implications on him of what they're being told to do. But by the time it happens, it's too late and they don't want to feel the guilt of it. So they just try and bury their heads in the sand like it never happened and they double down. I see it time and time again. And, and I see all the behavior play out and I'm like, this is textbook human behavior. Like this isn't malicious people trying to, you know, trying to, trying to hurt someone just because they're nasty. Like, no, they turn nasty because the incentives are too great not to. Do 
you see that that could also be a breakdown of uh, of the legal system as well? Because I, I, I can't say, I've seen it so many times where the actual lawyers stay in the fight just so they can milk some more money out of it. Oh, 100%. 100%. And unfortunately, the Family Law Act 1975 in Australia, at least, I don't know what it's like overseas. Back in 2006, there was a provision called Section 117AB that was added to the Family Law Act to prevent the ongoing issue of false allegations being made to gain advantage in family law proceedings, particularly with regards to custody and asset distribution. Because if you have majority custody, then you get majority asset distribution and you get majority child support and you get majority of time with the kids that you love that you don't want to not be around, right? So where's the downside to screwing your ex-husband over? Um, they, John Howard, an old prime minister, had introduced a presumption of 50-50 shared parenting. Feminist activists have been nonstop campaigning and trying to get that removed. And that was successful. Basically, within four weeks, within four weeks of Section 117AB being introduced, that, and, and basically this legislation was to paraphrase, if a person in family law proceedings is found to be knowingly and willfully making false allegations and there's evidence of it with the explicit intention and goal of gaining benefit in family proceedings and or hurting the other party maliciously, there were costs that were to be ordered to be paid. And then they made that uh, at the discretion of the judge and Finally, they got it removed under the National Plan to Reduce Violence Against Women and Their Children. Uh, and that occurred in about 2011, I think it was. Yeah, so, so that got changed. So within one year of the plan being introduced, and that was at the hands of Maurice Payne, a former minister for women. I think she's actually minister of women again now. She's, she's held quite a number of roles in the sort of uh, women's space, women's advocacy space. And she's also the minister for, for foreign affairs at the moment, I believe. And Anne Rustin, so between Julia Gillard, Anne Rustin, and uh, Maurice Payne, oh boy, they've done a number on men, big time. And uh, there's, no, there's nothing we can do about it. It just it is what it is. It's too bad, so sad. <laughs> Suck it up, cupcake, because we're protecting women, and you guys are the bad guys. You guys are the perpetrators, and we will fucking punish you if you perpetrate. And if you don't perpetrate. Well, if someone says that you've perpetrated, then you must have perpetrated because why would they say that you did if you didn't? That's the logic. And that's why your friend has spent 200 grand um, Canadian to get a second day a week with his kid. Yeah. Because of that exactly. Yeah. Lawyers know what they're doing. Lawyers know what they're doing. Pauline Hanson and she's the co-chair of a current family law inquiry. And unfortunately we've got radical feminists on the panel that are just trying to thwart any, any and all efforts to restore any fairness to men. So I don't know if they're just rolling over and capitulating or whether they just decided it's easier not to argue, but then the findings will be in the report and they'll have damning slamming recommendations. But yeah, I, 
I don't trust any of the major three parties in Australia because Scott Morrison did a compelling Women's Day speech on the media saying that, you know, oh, my, my daughters aren't safe in Australia. It's like bullshit. It's the safest country in the world for women. Like women go walking around the middle of the night wearing next to nothing. You know, like, yeah, sometimes people call out a nasty name to them. Look, I, I don't, I, I don't uh, endorse that. Just understand that what you do has consequences. If you're going to go around in a way that's sexually provocative, you don't deserve to be raped. But there are going to be people that are going to comment. And it's just how life is. You're never going to be able to legislate that out of human nature. It's just how it is. That's why when dogs go on heat, they go, the male dogs go seeking out that female dog on heat with every fiber of their being to breathe. We don't do that. Like we could, but we don't because we know better. and We respect our women. Most of us do. Um, or at least we are respectful towards them. We show decency. I think that word respect and gets muddled up a lot. Uh, people say, you got to res respect women. Like, I don't have to respect anybody. I will respect who I admire, who I have a level of admiration and respect for. If I don't have a level of admiration or respect for character traits or things you've done, then I'm not going to respect you, but I will behave in a respectful manner towards you. There's a big, big difference. And that line has been so blurred, it's become almost non-existent. Yeah. Now, if I've gone off on a tangent, please pull me back to where I was or where you want me to be, because uh, I kind of feel like I did that. I'm not exactly sure how I got here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I was going to ask um, uh, one of the reasons why my buddy has had to actually pay the extra two hundred thousand is because his uh, ex. Uh, ex uh i don't even want to call his, her his wife because she doesn't even deserve that she's his ex, ex partner his ex partner she's fucking crazy and i hope she's listening to this because she's fucking crazy <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna go I mean, she, she won't she won't see that she's crazy but no she won't know, she thinks she's perfectly fine but no she's fucking insane because this guy's a top-notch guy like he's I would not have, I would still not be friends with him if he wasn't a good guy. But anyways, I, what, what do you think the solution for something like that is when it comes to the legal system? Do you think something like common coming to a common ground between the two partners without a lawyer would be a good, a good solution? I think mediation is a really good thing, John. I think it's a really good thing because quite often uh, when partners get to a head with each other and they are having communication breakdown, when, you, when your emotion is up, your intelligence is down. When you've got two people that are emotional trying to work something out, you're not going to be a logical space on either side. And even if one person's in a logical space, the other person's going to re react emotionally because they want to connect with the other person. This is a human need, love and connection. So I think that if we were to start doing mediation um, and like marriage counseling for people, couples that are like had marriage breakdown, like you know, logic 101, right? I, I think that would be a good step in the right direction. Of course, all of the, um, the feminist advocates don't want that. They're saying, oh, it's re-traumatizing the woman. It's like, what if it's re-traumatizing the dude? 
and, and their omission of that is it's just an acknowledgement that they don't want to fix the problem. They just want to give the woman all of the rights and tell the guy to get effed, you know? Yeah. So I think the problem, what we need to do is get rid of this gendered Duluth model. This gendered Duluth model, it is a cancer. It is a scourge on entire Western society. It is everything that is wrong with our family law court and our family law system to the point where over in Scotland, women's aid who are government funded and funny I hear Australia talking about how Scotland is the gold standard. A woman can have you removed from your house. She can retain residency in your house. She can even have uh, the, the lease on a rental property transferred from your name into hers. Uh, yeah. Wow. It, it, it is insane. It is so nuts. You cannot even imagine. If anyone wants to check it out, go to womensaid.scot, C-S-C-O-T. And on the Women's Aid website, we go Scottish Women's Aid. There's the three dots in the top right-hand corner, or the three lines in teal. You click on that and you go down under information and support, it's got, uh, uh, where is it? Domestic abuse and my right. Like this thing is, like if you're a dude reading this, you're like, what the actual F? Here we go, it says, uh, you can use the law to have an abusive partner removed and no proof is required as long as you say so. And uh, if, it's an, if it's family violence of a non-physical nature, of course you can't often prove it. So it's just your word against his. Uh, so if you are married, here we go. You've got rights to stay in your own home and have an abusive partner removed. If you're married or in a civil partnership, you've got an automatic right to stay in your home, occupancy rights. Now, your home doesn't need to be your house that you own. It just needs to be your home, your place of occupancy, even if someone else owns that physical property. Uh, whether the house is in your name, your partner's name, or joint names. This means your partner does not have the right to put you out or to refuse your entry to the home. It also means that he can't get this. It also means that he can't sell it or give up or transfer the tenancy unless you agree in writing. Yes. So you can say, I, I'm scared of him. Having kicked out of his own house that he owns, then um, basically tell him, you can't sell the house that I'm living in that you own. Now, if that isn't some coercive control, family violence, economic abuse bullshit, I don't know what is, but yet somehow he's the perpetrator in this situation. It's insane. And I mean, look, if this was the only avenue for a woman to seek refuge, like, I kind of get it. I still don't agree with it, but I kind of get it. Um, it says, if you're not married or in a civil partnership, so you don't even need to be married or in a civil partnership. You only have automatic occupancy rights if you're the sole or joint owner or tenant of your home. If you're a sole owner or tenant, your partner has no legal right to stay there. You don't need a court order to make him leave. You can change the locks when he's out and refuse to let him in. If your partner is in the house and refuses to leave, you can ask the police to remove him. That's fine. Here we go. If you are not the sole or joint owner or tenant, then you do not have automatic occupancy rights. But you do have the right to go to court to get occupancy rights granted to you for six months at a time. That means it can, you can get it repeated over and over. Six months, six months, six months, six months, six months. You can keep dragging it on as long as you want. 
once you have occupancy rights, you can stay in the home and apply for an exclusion order to keep him from the home. Um, where's this bit here? Okay. If your partner leaves and your rented house is in his name or joint names, you can get it put into your name only. Transfer of tenancy means your landlord ends your partner's tenancy and gives you a new one in your name only. You need to ask for this by writing to your landlord. Partner will have to consider will have to consent to this transfer. So they have to sign off on it, but they don't get a choice. It's like, you're consenting. You have to consent. And if he does not, you will have to go to court to get the tenancy transferred. So it's like, if you don't do it, we'll just get the court to do it. You don't get to stay in it. Uh, and you will need to get a, women, a solicitor to help you obtain occupancy rights or an exclusion order. Your local women's aid groups may have a list of solicitors who are experienced in this area. Scottish Women's Rights Centre also provides free legal information and advice to women affected by violence or abuse. Leaving your home, your right to housing. Now, this is where it gets interesting. As I just said before, you can take over your partner's house. But, like, literally, you can, you can do that. If you have had to leave your home because of domestic abuse, which you have the opportunity to do, the right to do, you have a right to temporary accommodation and to permanent housing from your local council. You can also move to another council area if it's not safe for you to stay in your area. Fair enough. Um, you don't have to be ruthless to be treated as homeless. You can be moved in with family or friends, be living in a refuge or other temporary accommodation and make a homeless application. The council has a duty to provide you with temporary housing while they assess your homeless application. Temporary accommodations provided in furnished flats, hostels, and for a short period of time can be provided in bed and breakfast accommodation. Once your homeless application has been accepted, the council will have a duty to provide you with temporary housing until they can offer you a suitable permanent home. This may be provided by the council, housing association, or with a private landlord. Oh, by the way, housing benefit is paid by the council to help people in low incomes or receiving welfare benefits pay for their rent. Or council and housing association properties, if you rent from a private landlord, you can claim local housing allowance. And you can even get housing benefit paid for two homes at a time if you've left because of domestic abuse until such time as you've got out. Uh, if you're away from your home temporarily and you intend to go back, you can get it for up to 52 weeks on both homes. And, and so that's just the housing section. That doesn't go into the money issues, the legal protection, immigration, asylum, and domestic abuse, and women from the European economic area. Basically, the immigration and asylum one if you claim that you're a victim of domestic abuse, you can get permanent stay in, in Scotland. That's what that means. Wow. In, yeah. Greece, in Greece, all you have to do is just live in the residency for 25 years, and then you can actually claim that it's yours with no papers or no nothing. Squatter's law. Uh, there's something like that here as well, but it's very hard to find a property to squat in that you're not going to get caught squatting in, you know? Sorry. There's that. Well, it, I mean, you'd pretty much have, you'd pretty much have to know someone that owns a property they never go to. Yeah. Well, here, here in in the in uh, in Ontario, I know for, in Ontario for for example, it's six months. Like, uh, if I have a girlfriend and she's living in my house for six months, I automatically have to give her fifty percent of whatever it is, even if even if though even if even if we do not get married because she's becomes legally common law. Wow. So Justin Trudeau will be able to take 50% from his wife. Yeah, I don't think so. 
Because he's the girlfriend. Or boyfriend. No, I, I was just I was making a joke uh, about Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Sorry, that, that that one was may, maybe not too sharp. It was kind of like a blunt pencil, but that's cool. By the way, did you hear about the latest case in Canada? Uh, there was a guy who was divorced with three kids, and he uh, started dating a anxious thirty-eight-year-old single mother with two kids. Now they didn't; they never lived together. They didn't have any shared bank accounts. They didn't have any shared assets. They didn't have anything in any way, shape, or form that legally tied them together, other than the fact they've been dating for like fourteen years. He paid off her mortgage. He bought her a seven and a half carat diamond ring. Bought her several pieces of jewelry. Provided her and her kids with a lavish lifestyle. Gave them a couple of thousand dollars a month of spending money plus a credit card to use at her will, and he would pay it off for her. And. Then when they separated, she applied for spousal support. And she was granted spousal support. Common law. For life. Common law. For life. Yeah, that's common law. $50,000 a month for life. Yeah. He, he appealed it, and they found that the first time that it actually stayed together for any duration of time, was less than three years prior to the date of the filing. And that was like a holiday home that he had somewhere. So they're like, oh, you stayed with her. You must be like, you know, common law marriage. And so, yeah, he basically got completely dicked out of six and a half million dollars. Yay, Canada. Yeah. That's the reason why I can't wait to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. Don't blame you at all. Uh, so yeah. switch, switching gears a little bit again. Uh, why would men cry and show emotions? I am so freaking glad you asked that. I am so glad because I cry and show emotions. I, I, I cry. I've cried plenty of times. You know, I'm, I, I don't have what feminists claim is toxic masculinity where it's not manly to cry. That's what they claim. Uh, but, Here's the thing. You might say it's it's manly to cry, you know. Nothing sexier than a man who is prepared to be vulnerable and show his feelings. Like, let's talk about that word vulnerable. Because I have seen women publicly on TV talking about their partners where their partner has opened up or been vulnerable or lost a boxing match and they've lost respect for them. You need to be really careful about what you open up to your female partner about. And you need to make sure she respects the hell out of you before you let one tear come out of that duct. Because if she doesn't respect you, she's going to respect you even less when she sees you crying. She's like, oh, I, I don't want a man that cries. I've heard that come out of women's mouth. Oh, I don't, I don't want a wuss. I don't want a man who cries. Right? So, look, we cry when we're under severe emotional, physical, or, um, but look, it's usually emotional stress. Um, and sometimes that is exacerbated by physical exertion combined with emotional stress. Very rarely that you'll see a guy cry purely just from lifting weights that are 20 kilos too heavy for him and struggling and shaking all over the place. You know, he's not going to cry. He's going to be making all sorts of noises and probably maybe hurt himself, but he's not going to cry. Might cry after he hurts himself. 
but even then that's an emotional thing it's like that release you know that i i sorry sorry to interrupt you but i would cry tears of joy yeah <laughs> personal best <laughs> okay so yeah so, so so that's the other time when you're really happy like dude when i was a kid um i watched the movie milo and otis with the the dog and the cat and they were like best friends i was so happy when they found each other and got home like shed a tear you know like i'm not afraid to say that on a podcast like that was cool like i love that you know like because i'm such like i'm so family oriented i love my family so much like when i see other families having what i have like that that just that brings me joy you know like that brings me a high level of emotion so when our emotion when we are severely significantly emotionally charged the chances of us crying are high but a lot of us will hold that in if we're around people that we don't trust to take that in the way that, that it is, which is like, man, you know what? You're a beautiful soul. I really appreciate that you cried like that. If, I, if I'm with someone and I think that I'm going to hear them say that, I'm not going to hold back with my tears. I'm not going to be like, <laughs> the dog and the cat and it's like, they found each other. But like, you know, I'll shed a tear in the corner of my eye. Like, and I'll be smiling, you know, it's happy. When we talk about the, the real crying, like the crying of despair, the crying of sadness, the crying of heartache, of depression, of the black dog, the crying of those final moments before you do something that cannot be reversed because it's the culmination of, a, of so long being miserable and upset and hurt and, and crushed internally. You know, your soul is dead. We are very, we're, we're, look, if we cry in front of you, it, it was either way too much to bear or we really trust you. We trust you not to screw us over because we're not going to be, we're guys, we're guys. We operate more off logic than we do off emotion, granted. And given that premise of operating off logic more than emotion, why would we logically put ourselves in a position where we are vulnerable with someone else that could potentially hurt us. It's just not a smart thing to do. So to answer your question, um, look, yes, we cry, but we're not going to cry in front of you unless we trust you and you better earn that trust. Uh, so I just, I'm sick of all this bullshit about toxic masculinity and men don't cry because it's not manly. Fuck off. It's manly as shit to cry but we're just not going to put ourselves in a vulnerable position because we're smarter than that. And that's, that's welcome to my Ted talk. <laughs> what, what more can I say? You know, that's just, that's just how it is. And people need to listen to that. Like listen to us men saying that and we're like, okay, I get it now. I understand. Instead of trying to like, I remember you were on a podcast and one of the ladies was like, Oh, you know, can you record yourself next time you cry? And I was watching it and, and like I got a lot of respect for that lady, you know, but in the, in the moment I was like, yeah, he, he's not going to agree to that because no. there's no benefit to him to cry in front of you. There, there's no like, and, and on top of that, when he's talking to you, his emotions are going to be positive, not negative. So if he's going to cry, he's going to cry with happiness or with laughter. It's not going to be out of sadness, despair or desperation or depression. It's just not going to happen ever. Yeah. So keep, keep waiting for the recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know? basically. Like, yeah, and that goes that goes for any woman or any man that's in that same situation. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, 
it's like you said, like for, for a guy to, to show that kind of that, that amount of emotion, especially in front of people, like every time I've done it myself, it's always been in private, always been mm. in private. Always, always. Unless like, okay, this is not true. Um, okay. I kind of lied on that. Like, okay. When my grandmother died, I was devastated. And yeah, I could not hold back that kind of emotion. When my grandfather died in 2015, totally, I couldn't hold back. Even though my grandfather was an asshole to me throughout my life, you know, it's still, he was a big part of my, of, of my life. So, right. Yeah. I'm not going to go out there and just pick up my cell phone and just throw, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, like you're not gonna call up someone and be like, "Oh, I just need someone to cry with." Yeah, no, no, no it won't happen. Like, just no. Yeah. So, ladies, if you can't get your guy to cry in front of you, hopefully that gives you a bit of an understanding why. Yeah. So you don't think that this is a sign of weakness? Hell no, it's not a sign of weakness at all. I mean, it's it's a sign of weakness if you are crying all the time, crying at the drop of a hat, crying because. Um, you know, you got a you got a parking fine for a hundred bucks, and you got a thousand dollars in the bank, and you're like, oh, I've only got nine hundred dollars. <laughs> what am I gonna do? Like, no, it's just like suck it up, pay the fucking fine, and get over it. You know what I mean? Learn learn your lesson. Don't park there again at that time or there at all. If it's a no no parking zone, whatever the case may be. But you know, take take the lessons from situations that suck and learn from it. And, and you will be infinitely better off for it. I promise you, promise you. And just let, you know, take it from that angle. And hopefully that will help you to gain some emotional resilience because if you start crying every time something goes wrong, like children do, things are going to get really bad for you really quick. Yeah. And, and you're not even going to see it coming. It's like a freight train that hits you from behind. And you're deaf. So you didn't even hear it. Yeah. Uh, how could a guy become financially competent? Um, I, I would say one of the big things with being financially competent, you need to look at the best ways to leverage the resources and the skills that you have and the time that you have for the best possible outcome. Get rid of your limiting beliefs. Like, I don't care if you say, I can't do that. Try it. And if it doesn't work, try it some more. Keep trying it until you get it. You know, practice makes perfect. Rome wasn't built in a day. Anything worth having is going to take time. Right? If, you, if, you're, if you're all about something, don't quit. Just keep going. Right? And um, if you want to see a perfect example of that, I'm going to give you another thing to put in the description below. Uh, it's, called, it's the death crawl scene from the Facing the Giants. That is just such an absolutely stunning scene to watch. So like 8.7 million views on YouTube uh, and it's showing when you actually remove, like when you put the blinders on to your, the things that you see that you think are your limits and you just go for it, how much further you can actually get. So do that. Don't buy dumb shit. You don't need Gary V said that in the video yesterday. And I was like, yeah, right on Gary. I've been saying that for years. Like seriously, I'm, I mean, John, no disrespect. I know you had the uh, awesome BMW when you were younger, but you know better now uh, than to buy that when you have no money to purchase it with. 
you know, you like you had a loan at the time, I understand. Uh, but if you're going to buy a car, buy it in cash. Like, who cares if it's a shitbox? Who cares if you're not going to pick up all the hot girls in it? If the only way you can get hot girls is by having a hot car, then, dude, you got to do some work on some other areas. Because I'm telling you, the thing that attracts a woman is not the same thing that keeps her. And tangible assets, she can take that shit with you when she leaves. She can't take your charisma. She can't take your tenacity. She can't take your drive. She can't take your, your humor. She can't take your passion for life. Your, all of these things that are inherent traits that, are, that cannot be disconnected from your body, that cannot be removed from your soul and taken with someone, by someone else to better their lives once they leave you. You better make sure that your girl's staying with you for all the reasons that she can't take away. Yeah. One of the biggest, if there's nothing else you take from this podcast is that with regards to women. One of the biggest tests that I actually imparted on a woman uh, who I thought I was going to marry was, well, kind of this kind of actually got plopped on my, uh, on my plate where I lost my business. I lost my livelihood and I found out that she was more interested in my business and my livelihood than she was with me. So, (laughs) Yeah. Good lesson that I learned. Hurt like hell, but whatever. It's life. Hey, I'm glad you learned it then rather than now when you're much more successful. Yeah. Yeah. Or marrying her and then figuring it out after. That would have been fun. Marrying her in Canada, getting divorced in Canada. It's a very expensive process. That's the whole world of hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and having kids with her. Oh, forget it. For the world. Forget it. Yeah, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, these yeah. are... Let, let, let's, let's move on then. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to go for the next one. We're going to be actually wrapping it up because uh, I could actually spend like four hours just talking to you about stuff. <laughs> but I know... As Van Wilder, party liaison once said, don't be a fool, wrap your tool. So <laughs> wrapping it up is a very good advice, <laughs> particularly in the context of so many of the things we've spoken about today. Yeah. Uh, so I always ask my guests these uh, six or seven questions just to get their perspective on these th- on the on these questions. So, uh, with the increase in people suffering from depression from the lockdown, what's the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? It's a very 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 good question. Um. I think it needs to be something individualized to the person. But I also think the message needs to be, this isn't forever. First of all, like this will pass worse, much worse pandemics that have killed hundreds of millions. Like I don't know if it's hundreds of millions, but definitely tens of millions in the past, like way back before healthcare was as good as it is now. And we're talking on a worldwide scale. So it's really not that much when you span that across the globe. There's been pandemics that have been so much more deadly with this, with no cure, just rapidly spreading through the entire population. Like you're so lucky right now that you're not facing that. And it is only temporary. Keep in mind that the majority of people dying from COVID are dying with it, not from it. And it's still counted as a COVID death. And that's the case in the US, it's the case in Canada, it's the case in Victoria, at least I know. Um, it's like, cause how do you sit down and, go through every death and go, hmm, 
let's get a panel of people together to decide whether this was from COVID or with COVID. Like, they don't have time for that. You know, it's like, look, they've got COVID, that there was a COVID death because it was a death with COVID, period. And they just classify it like that. So even the actual death numbers from COVID, uh, realistically, a lot less people have actually died from COVID. The majority of them have got an average of two and a half comorbidities in some areas of the states and uh, different countries. Things like, you know, uh, you know, plaque in the, um, in the veins and you know, diabetes and respiratory issues and all these sorts of stuff. So, you know, look, COVID can exacerbate these things that are already bad um, and that can cause fatalities. But for the average healthy person, it's unlikely to affect you significantly. It will be over soon. It'll be just like any other cold or flu soon. There'll be a vaccine. You can take it if you want. You can not take it if you don't want to. And just go about your business. Live life, you know? Like life is life is too short to get hung up. Like don't sweat the small stuff. In fact, I, I, I've got so many quotable lines from Van Wilder Party Liaison, but I'm going to share this one because I found this really so unbelievably relevant. You shouldn't, and this is maybe something people could say to someone who's uh, feeling like there's no end. You shouldn't treat every situation like a life or death situation because you'll die a lot of times. I like that. And that, that applies to everyone, regardless of whether they're depressed from, you know, being, dealing with something like this for the first time, regardless of like whatever the, the thing is, like don't treat it as life and death. Yeah. While you're, while you're still breathing, while your heart's still beating, you still have so much potential and I see it in you and I help you to bring it out. Just stick with me, you know? Mm-hmm. I also like, uh, don't take life too seriously. You're never going to get out of it alive. Exactly. And all, all of the people that are really uptight that, that make your life shitty. Uh, well, I mean, you only you can make your life shitty, but for people that, you know, haven't yet fully self-actualized and still blame a lot of stuff on other people. And I, and for people who do that, I get why you do it. I'm not blaming you. Uh, but for people who do that, just imagine all of the really uptight people wearing tight white granny panties. Because these people are boring as shit when it comes to a normal conversation, you know? Yeah. Like, no wonder they're angry. Their life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, what... me, me, on the other hand, I'm wearing a lacy pair of Victoria's Secret. You know, that's how, that's how uh, exciting my life is. Too much information. <laughs> come on, man. Come on, man. You know I'm kidding. But I just I wanted know, to give I you know. a really nasty visual. Just I know. for shits and gigs. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, where do you see the unapologetic Aussie the next five years you know I've really been reassessing my priorities with my mum I definitely see it being a fascinating resource of different conversations like I'm seeing everyone starting podcasts and I'm seeing so many even like YouTubers that used to just stream and it's just, just them you know like so many people are starting to collaborate with like two three four five six seven people now on live streams and like i just love that like we're rebuilding that spirit of human connection and if i were to be honest like i see my podcast heading a similar, similar direction in fact i um 
I just bought another another mic the other day, so I've got that, and uh, got, my, got my little my road desk stand as well. So I've, I've got one of these and one of these already, and I've got the shock mount and the arm, and so I basically got two arms, two desk mounts, two mics, two shock mounts. It cost me a shitload of money, and I worked a lot of hours to buy all this stuff, but it's totally worth it because I have just had such a ball, you know, making money with videos and you know, talking to people on podcasts and it just sounds amazing. You know, like I just love when something, just a conversation like what you and I are having, it's got just, it's just your, your face and my face, not even like super high res video or anything. Um, just over zoom, but man, the, the audio quality, like when you're listening to an audio podcast, that's what matters. And I love the production quality that the equipment that I've, gone out and invested in gives me. So definitely going to be using it more. Uh, I really want to start podcasting with my dad actually. And, you know, talking to him about topics and getting his take on it, and, um, having conversations because I have some of the most fascinating conversations with my dad about different things. And I love that. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, he would talk about political stuff at the table or like current affairs. And I would try and chime in. He's like, no, you know, you, you don't understand because, you know, there's this and this to be taken into consideration. It used to be a little bit of a source of frustration for him because he's just trying to sit down and eat his lunch before he goes back to work to pay for my shit, you know? <laughs> so, like, I should have given the guy a break. But now that I actually understand politics, I understand human dynamics, I understand the mainstream media, I understand the school system, I understand all of our public institutions and private enterprise and how everything kind of gels and works together. Can have some really fascinating conversations with him and he's he's even learned some things from me that he didn't know so you know that to me that was really cool to be able to share some stuff with my dad that he didn't already know um and you know just i really love my dad and i really love my mom and i'd love to get them involved in some of the conversations and you know maybe even have a chat with mom and just ask her about her experience um you know being a mother to myself and my sister because imagine when she's not around anymore to be able to share that podcast out about her life and her family and, you know, her history with everyone at the funeral and say, go home and listen to this podcast, let it all out. Like hear the amazing life that she lived and, and, you know, and celebrate this incredible woman for everything that she is and nothing that she's not, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's something I'd love to do. Maybe that might end up, uh, going off into a direction where I get, you know, kids with their parents who are, you know, on their deathbed onto my podcast and have conversations with them and, you know, just like get real, like get really fucking real. And then there's also the option to potentially start my own um, podcast studio in Wagga Wagga uh, when I do go home and stay with the family. And uh, yeah, maybe even make that into a business and, and people can hire out the podcasting space, might even hire out an office in like a business that has excess space and you know, just soundproof that room and sublet, sublet that from them and you know, have people come in and they could do the podcasts weekly or you know, schedule it in and just charge them the access to the room and I'll facilitate it and moderate it all and do all the volumes and you know, send the file to them at the end so that all they have to do is just come in, talk, and, and walk out and they'll get the file in their email, you know, like that'd be cool. 
if you could pick up the so phone. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that I, I might be doing in five years, John. Uh, if we were to summarize, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's that's good. But whatever, good. whatever I'm doing, it will be an interesting conversation. That is for sure. So yeah. make sure you subscribe to the Unapologetic Aussie since you're already subscribed to the Oracle Fitness <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be putting all your links, uh, as you said before, I'm going to be putting all your links to in the show notes so everybody has easy access to everything that uh, you're talking about. Um, cool. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that I don't need to be so afraid of what might happen. That's what I would tell myself. Cool. Looking back, would you change anything? No. I love that answer. No, because because if I if I if I changed anything, then maybe I wouldn't be here speaking to you right now, and, and that would be a damn shame. Definitely, you would not be here speaking to me. Definitely. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So that's that's me. Cool. Uh, what keeps you up at night? Nothing. I sleep like a log. I don't <laughs> let anything. I don't let anything keep me up at night. It's not worth it. Awesome. Uh, where can people find more about you? Uh, head on over to at Unapologetic Aussie uh, on Instagram, or you can check out Unapologetic Aussie on Spotify, and I'll have all my links in there, and it'll be nice and easy to find me. I'll be doing some YouTube videos as well soon as well. Amazing. Uh, any final thoughts? Final thoughts is you are amazing and I appreciate you having me on your show. It's been a blast. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I will come on anytime, anytime. And uh, yeah, I thank everyone for listening and I really appreciate the, uh, the platform and you know, I hope your podcast continues to grow and help many, many people. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Um, I, really 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 appreciate everything that you're doing out there you know reaching out to so many men that need help because uh like we said before like it's it's one aspect that has been overlooked definitely definitely. and if we don't address men men's issues now and you know really really address it i mean it could it could turn really bad really quickly who knows where we'll be and you sign. Yep. So again, thank you. I appreciate you for all your work and you will definitely be on my show again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I look forward to it. <laughs> all right. Uh, going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you'll be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night wherever you may be in this crazy world.